true. Here's a bit of, a bit of Lenten trivia for you. We very intentionally say it is the third Sunday in Lent, not of Lent, because the Sundays in Lent are not a part of the Lenten 40 days. They're not a part of what we count, because as Christians, we understand that every Sunday worship service is kind of like a mini Easter. It is a celebration of resurrection. That's why in some churches, they break the Lenten fast on Sundays. Here's another little tidbit. During the ritual of baptism, in the early church, there were several anointings that um, happened with oil. And one of those anointing, anointings, it's a hard word to say, was meant as an exorcism. Now, if a horrifying image of neophytes levitating in the air and spinning around and spitting up pea soup just went through your head, don't be scared. It's not the same thing. But it was a ritual cleansing of the candidate, and it was meant to make room for the Holy Spirit to enter into that person and move within them. The oil that was used for that particular anointing was coarse and gritty. Today, a pinch of consecrated salt is sometimes placed on the lips of the person to be baptized as a sign of exorcism. So each Sunday, oops, I'm bumping into stuff. So each Sunday of our Lenten sermon series, Let Justice Roll, we have been exploring and uh, exploring our baptismal vows, and we've been clenching our fists each week as we ask ourselves the question, what is it that we hold on to so tightly that it gets in the way of our living into our baptisms, which call us, as we're learning by reviewing these vows, um, to be agents of salvation, to work with God to usher in God's new and just kingdom. Well, this gritty, gritty anointing or the use of salt during baptism asks that same question, but just, just a little bit differently. It asks, with what are we possessed that gets in the way of the Spirit's movement within us? What is it that so possesses us that it interferes with our work to transform the world. So far on our Lenten journey, as we've ambled through our baptismal vows, we've remembered, first of all, that each of us is claimed by God as a beloved child. And so a really great starting point for any movement toward justice is to begin to recognize that all people are created in the image of and claimed and beloved by our God. Further, as God's beloveds and as those who claim to follow Christ, we commit in our baptism that we will renounce wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sin. Repent of our participation in wickedness and our complicity with the evil powers of this world. Today we remember the promise that we make in baptism to nurture one another and to serve as Christ's representatives in the world. And so, based on that, we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean exactly? I mean, how is God calling us as individuals and as this church, 
Westlake United Methodist Church, and as the, capital T, capital C, church. How is God calling us to be in all those arenas? Do we look and act like Jesus, who emptied himself completely, who gave himself fully, surrendered to, and privileged love of God and other above all things, including himself, his own well-being? Or do we, like our prayer today suggests, at least in some matters or some of the time, act out of fear and in defensiveness? Do we act in destructive ways with hopes of preserving self? Do we sometimes privilege our desire for security and for superiority over love of neighbor? Do we allow greed and prejudice to drive us at the expense of many of God's other children? How is the church responding to the pervasive racism in our country? How is it responding to the discrimination that permeates our culture? How do we as Christ's representatives work to ensure that the sick are cared for in our society? How do we work toward a world where no one is hungry or thirsty, where all of God's children are welcome to live among us, where all are clothed and where our justice system is fair? These are the questions that our country is asking, regardless of faith persuasion. And as those who follow Christ, as those who are the church, we have to ask ourselves, how will we use the freedom and the power that God gives us to influence the type of society that we will be. Tuesday is the last day to vote in the primaries. That's one way we have to influence the way that our society will form. I assure you, Jesus says, that when you have fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, welcomed the stranger, clothed the naked, cared for the sick, visited those in prison. When you have done these things for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. You've seen me in the least of these, and you've responded in freedom, freedom that I give you with compassion. Last weekend at the fellowship retreat, we discussed over the weekend atonement theories. It was riveting. And um, as we were talking about the, the various atonement theories, we asked ourselves a number of questions about the different atonement theories that we discussed. One of them was, in this particular atonement theory, how is, or what is it that Christ frees us from? What are we saved from according to this atonement theory? Are we saved from sin? Are we saved from the evil powers of this world? Are we saved from a lack of awareness of God's love for us? And then the other question that we asked ourselves, the question that I almost think is more important is, what is it that we're saved for? 
Christ saves us for a purpose, for a reason, so that we can participate as agents of salvation in God's work to redeem this world. Whether or not we see Jesus in the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, the immigrant, and respond as Christ would, whether or not we love them and privilege their well-being above our own, this is what we are judged by. It's what we're called to do, according to the parable that Morris read for us just a little bit ago. It's not easy. I mean, it's hard to lose our grip on our desire for security and safety and personal health and wealth. It's hard to let go of some of the ways in which we are privileged. It's hard to exercise ourselves of greed and fear for the sake of the realization of God's kingdom. My daughter Michaela said to me recently, she said, just out of the blue, you know, Mom, it's really weird to think that I was born me. What are the odds of that? I knew exactly what she was talking about. I mean, I've wondered the very same thing. It is bizarre sometimes to wrap my head around the fact that for some strange reason, I was born female during this time in history when women have more rights and freedom, at least in our culture, than ever before, that I was born white in a world that seems to privilege white, that I was born in the wealthiest country in the world, a democratic and free nation, to a family that wasn't rich. I mean, we ate a lot of spam when I was younger. <laughs> But I never went hungry. I was never thirsty. I was never naked, except when I was a defiant toddler. And I have always been able to go to the doctor or the dentist when I needed to. I have never been arrested because of perceptions about who I am based on how I look. I have never been imprisoned. I've never been a stranger in a strange land. I have never had to immigrate to another country to seek safety or opportunity. I mean, what are the odds that I would win such a genetic, historical, geographical lottery? And why? It baffles me when I really think about it. I don't know the answer. But what I do know is that Jesus calls me to be generous with all of the gifts that I've been given. And I do recognize all of these things of, as gifts. I mean, I certainly didn't earn any of these circumstances or traits. None of them. They were freely given to me for some bizarre reason. And I'm called by Christ to be generous with the gifts that I've been given. Still, it's so hard to let go of them sometimes. I mean, I love that me and my family can go to the doctor whenever we want to. I have two of them at home sick right now, and we've got Teladoc, and it's really, really helpful. And I wonder what might happen to our health care, my family's health care, if we try to provide it for everybody. 
I love that me and my family get to eat. Way too much sometimes. Really good food every single day. And oftentimes, much too often, food that I don't even have to cook. We get to go out to restaurants. I mean, if I was truly generous, if we really work to feed everyone who is hungry, what would the personal cost be for me and my family? What would we have to give up? How might it impact me and my family if we were to welcome into our country all those who are persecuted or in danger or who live in poverty in their own country? What would it cost us? How might it put us at risk? These are difficult questions. They're hard conversations. And Jesus says what counts is whether or not a person has acted with loving care for the least of these. These acts are not extra credit, but the decisive criterion by which we are judged. The difference between those who have acted as Christ's representatives, the church, is whether or not they loved their neighbor as themselves, which as it turns out is apparently how we love God. Because when we do respond to the needs of the hungry and the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the prisoner, the immigrant, when we see Christ in all others and respond as Christ would, then we are Christ's representatives. We are being the church. Again, a great place to start is to recognize all people as God's beloved children. And an excellent place to start is by seeing Christ in everyone we meet. I want us to practice that. Turn to someone near you and say, I see the Christ in you. And then I want you to turn to somebody else near you and say, I see the Christ in you. Go ahead, go ahead. Diana. Oh no, they're going to sing something first. <laughs>